I've been learning something the last several weeks, actually. I have realized the importance of brokenness. Um, I love Psalms 51, 17, that the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite spirit. And so, uh, you know, when you learn to not beat yourself up over frustrations, disappointments, failures, leading a worship song and having to restart it three times and being able to laugh instead of get frustrated. Today's been kind of one of those mornings for me. I've been in touch with what feels like my weakness, um, my brokenness. And you know the paradigm shift I think we all need to have is when you do come to that place of brokenness and you feel like your efforts are so inadequate, you've actually drawn the right conclusion. Because in that lack, in our weakness, his strength can actually be revealed in a greater way. And I don't know if it's ever going to feel good in the flesh, but thank God I've died to the flesh and I want to live in the spirit. And so, you know, I am getting tired of condemnation. I'm getting tired of self-accusation. I'm getting tired of wallowing around in areas that feel like weakness to me. And I want to learn how in those moments to trust and submit myself to resist the temptation to get frustrated and embrace the opportunity for God's strength to come in a way that I think can really only happen in those times of brokenness and weakness. So, Father, I thank you today for the word that you've put on my heart, for the encouragement it already gave me this morning. And I thank you for your heart toward everyone listening right now. I believe that there are breakthroughs coming. There is freedom from performance, freedom, God, from that terrible treadmill of feeling like we've got to someday be good enough to really deserve that which you've given completely by your grace. So this morning, in Jesus' name, I ask for myself and for others to be set free from the bondage of living under an old covenant that is dead and learn how to embrace a new covenant that empowers us, Lord, to not live by a love of the law, but live by that law of love. A new covenant that enables us to live in the righteousness that the law would demand, but only your love can accomplish. Woo, that's a good word right there. I just stop. Just digest that for a moment. Oh, the gospel is that good news, the means by which we are empowered to have a righteousness not of ourselves, but actually His righteousness that the law would demand of us, but the gospel empowers us to be able to live. Woo! Man, I, I, man, there are these moments I almost don't even want to press in <laughs> any further to what is on my heart. But I had a lot of fresh revelation for me uh, this morning that I want to share. Again, it's sort of a walk through... Uh, the book of Galatians, and I don't remember, but it's possible that Miko did a teaching a while ago, a few weeks ago on Galatians, and it wasn't until I finished this that it's like, oh no, am I plagiarizing Miko? And, and then I realized, oh, you know what? It doesn't matter because the Lord's given me fresh stuff, and this is my perspective um, 
on this passage. And so um, I really want to start out kind of with the ending that we're going to build toward. Oh, for years, um, I have had a deep conviction that godly character, being like him, loving like him, is the lens through which people really can see and encounter God and his nature that his character governs, is over our spiritual gifting. I want to be empowered by the Spirit. I want to see creative miracles and miraculous healing, and I want to see wisdom of God released into people's lives, the strategies of heaven bringing breakthrough. All of that is wonderful. But if it's not done through the simple lens of his love, then all it can do is attract attention to ourselves. And for me, the greatest measure of the love and the character of God uh, in our lives is still reflected in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2 and 23. And it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, Paul is writing this to the Galatians, which, by the way, is the only book that is written to a region, to multiple churches, and not just a specific group. And it was written to the churches in Galatia, which is Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey, And the cities of Antioch are there. Antioch is the city that Christians got their name because there was a slave trade there. And when the household of Smith bought you, you became a Smithian. And when they heard the gospel, they said, well, it looks like you're just becoming slaves to this Christ guy, so you're Christians. And uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe are all part of that region. And at the time, there were struggles. Paul preached the gospel of faith in Jesus, salvation by grace, through faith. And then all of a sudden people came along, legalists who wanted to focus on behavior, and and Judaizers who said that you have to observe certain customs of the Old Testament law in order to be Christians. And this is Paul's response to people who basically are trying to come against the gospel of grace. This is really the the clearest exposition, if you will, of his heart of of how you get set free from law and from performance and evaluating yourself, comparing yourself to other people. And so... uh, it's an incredibly important, incredibly powerful section of Scripture. But what I love about Galatians 5.22 is it says the fruit. So focus on that for a moment. A plant can only produce fruit when it's connected to the life-giving source, to the root that taps into all the nutrients, all the sustenance that is needed. And by the way, Branches don't sit there and just grunt and try to produce fruit and go, bam, okay, here comes an apple. It, it is the natural process 
of life, when you are abiding in, like John 15 talks about, and connected to the source, the natural byproduct is going to be the fruit of the Spirit. We don't produce it ourselves. We don't try to make it happen ourselves. It is the result only of that divine connection relationship and that grace that comes from those who stay in that relationship. And so I love that, and that has to remain a continual focus. But, you know, there are times where I'm trying to abide. I'm trying to experience his presence. I'm trying to be with him and think about him. And and all of that is fine. My devotional life is very important. But, you know, this is the best measuring stick of the effectiveness of your devotional life. If you think you're spending two, three hours a day with the Lord and worshiping God, but you're still walking in fears and doubts and insecurities, self-focus, if you're still filled with introspection, if you're filled with areas of struggle and weakness, then you may want to question how effective really are my times uh, that I'm spending with the Lord? Am I really encountering his presence? Am I experiencing time in a way that I'm experiencing the real Jesus and not a false Jesus, the real gospel, and not a false gospel like the Judaizers were trying to promote? So this theme is so core to what is on my heart for this morning. I want to share one of my favorite passages from the first century church that just rocked the world. The heaven broke in on earth. The kingdom of God, like leaven, was starting to expand and infiltrate, affect a culture throughout the world. And in Acts 4.13, as the church was just springing to life, Peter and John were proclaiming the gospel in a way that was causing problems. And in verse 13, it says, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. These are the religious leaders of the time. And they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're disqualified. In fact, in some ways, your disqualification is your qualification for the kingdom. If you learn how to actually spend time with Jesus, your education doesn't matter, that you're a common person doesn't matter, that you don't have resources that that doesn't matter. The reality is your connection with Jesus is all you need to go and walk in an area of influence and authority of life and of effectiveness everywhere you go. And and that is the easiest way of expressing that formula. Well, they spent time with Jesus. And so Paul, as he's starting the book of Galatians, laying this foundation of trusting exclusively in faith in Jesus, of Jesus being the single focus, the most important thing, not an add-on, not in needing to add anything to, but the sufficiency of that connection and relationship with Jesus alone. Paul is talking about his own experience because Judaizers are saying, no, he's not a real apostle. He doesn't have real authority. And Paul's like, I'm not here to please men. He's acknowledging the foundation of 
his mission and his passion in life. And he says in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, but when, and this is Paul speaking, and when he who had set me apart before I was born, before you were born, God knew you in your mother's womb. God had a purpose and a plan. He had empowerment all at the ready. He had a desire for you to walk in liberty and wholeness and healing before you were ever born. That's how good your father's heart is toward you. Before I was born, and who he who he uh, and he called me by his grace. Let me start that over. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, I was pleased to reveal uh, he called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. Where did Paul's ministry start? What was the very heart and foundation? When the father was pleased to reveal his son to Paul on that road in Damascus, it said, in order that I might preach him, Jesus, among the Gentiles. His qualification was a divine encounter. Our qualification is a divine encounter with Jesus. And it happens daily. It happens continually. You know, I've had the Father speak into my life. I've had the Holy Spirit share things with me. I've, I've, I've often kind of struggled. Why don't I have more encounters with Jesus the way I hear other people do? Um, I was thinking, uh, I was at a pastor's gathering, a worship time, and we were just having this wonderful uh, time together, praying for each other's churches. And, and the Lord said something uh, amazing to me in that time. And it was Jesus in this case. It's one of the few times I can think of where I know it directly came from him. And Jesus said, I walk in the flames of hearts that burn for me. And I thought, oh God, just keep my heart burning. Lord, help my devotion to you. Help my passion. Help my brokenness. Make me desperate again for you and for your presence. And Lord, walk through my life, in my actions, in my words, in all that I do, that was a divine encounter for me. And, and for Paul, that divine encounter is what then established not an act of having to work, but an act of service for him. It was on the foundation of the Lord's kindness reaching out to him. And then Paul's like, okay, now I've got to preach him and him only. And so Paul, understanding all of that, the, the great verse, I believe the book of Galatians is the expression of God's uh, salvation by grace, which is funny. Lori and I didn't talk. She didn't know. And the way she opened the message was we all need that encounter with grace. And the culmination for many people, the Protestant church, the very foundation of our faith is established on Ephesians 2.8, where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not your own doing. It is a gift of God. You can't deserve it. You don't earn it. All you can do is really respond to the extravagance of that gift that is so undeserved.
And it is by that grace that we understand our need, we come in touch with our brokenness, and through faith, we trust in the one we had the encounter with, his son, to shift everything in our life. So in our our walk through uh, Galatians, we move on to Galatians 5, verse 6. And this is where he is directly now coming against the people who say you have to uh, add some of the old covenant law to some of this new covenant grace and life. And Paul just flat out says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Who? Only faith working through love. And so really the title for this message is laying this foundation for our salvation by grace and faith and how we respond to that. I really believe that if you've had a divine encounter, a genuine encounter with Jesus, you've understood the gospel of being saved by grace, that you will automatically first become leaders in love. And that's what Galatians 5.22 is talking about. And that the fruit of the Spirit, the very first one mentioned, is love. And so... I, uh, when I hear the word preached, when I know there are times where my heart is just burning and I've got that, yes, response to what I'm hearing, I love when people give an opportunity to respond, to say yes, to I am receiving, as my dear friend Kumiko says. And so, as I prayed about it, and I was thinking about maybe some of the cliche way, oh, let's pray for salvations, let's pray for healings, and that's all wonderful. And by the way, a simple proclamation of the gospel, a sim- this simple message is the very foundation through which God reveals and releases his power to believers and to unbelievers. As we settle the issue, it's Jesus first, always and only, Jesus is going to be the primary focus of all that I say and all that I do and all that I desire. Then all of a sudden, everybody's options shift. As as Jesus spoke the word, his words instantly became spirit. And God's spirit was able then to penetrate human hearts and provoke a human spirit who could either choose to turn away or choose to turn toward. And so even now, as we're even finishing up, I, uh, I, really, I heard like three things that I want to give an opportunity for all of us to respond to. Um, and I want you to do a quick heart check before we do this. I, I was wondering, uh, years ago, I heard George and Banoff teach at Abiding Place And he taught on Isaac and Ishmael. He taught on the son of the slave woman. And he taught on the son of the free woman. And Isaac means laughter. 
because Sarah laughed when she heard the promise of a son. And imagine a child born into a world where what you're encountering again and again is the laughter and the joy of your mother over you versus a mother who's trying to run and hide and flee because she's a slave woman and doesn't have an inheritance and her son doesn't have an inheritance either. And so the Isaac kind of represents the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where you've got to perform and work and be a good slave. And Ishmael represents the Old Covenant. And Isaac represents the New. And it's just a powerful thought that, for me, having been around the church, believers for the majority of my adult life, hearing so many messages, I know that there it was and still is a mixture of Old Covenant thinking and New Covenant thinking. And the problem is, Old Covenant thinking is like throwing sand in motor oil in an engine. All it does is create friction. All it does is begin to wear things down, wear you down. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Spirit, can no longer flow freely through you when you mix that old and that new covenant. And so here's a heart check for you. Um, I'm only going to refer to it. I'm sorry, I don't have time to develop it. But John 8, 11 is the story of Jesus, and they bring the woman caught in the act of adultery before him. And, you know, they're ready to stone her to honor, obey the law. And they ask Jesus, you know, uh, what, what, did, what should we do about this woman? And he said, well, whoever's without sin cast the first stone, as you know. And they all drop their stones. They all drop their accusations. They're no longer asking for her death, her condemnation. And, and then Jesus says those marvelous words, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, and go and sin no more. Most of my Christian walk, when I hear that story, what is the part that you react to? For me, it was, oh, he did say go and sin no more. See, can't keep sinning. You, gotta change, you, gotta, you can't keep doing those bad things. You got to do the good things. If your first reaction is to focus on go and sin no more, I challenge you, take it in prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, is that an old covenant reaction rising up in my heart? Or Lord, is my first reaction, how can Jesus be so generous, so filled with grace to this woman who everyone thought deserved punishment and all he could say was go, uh, all he could say was neither do I condemn you. He had a redemptive plan for her life. He spoke empowerment that you are loved and no one here has the right to judge you the way they're judging you. Receive my perspective on your life. And so do that little heart check and, and if you find there's extra power in those words, go and sin no more. And Jesus meant it and said it, and so there is a right application for that teaching. Jesus wasn't wrong, but if the emphasis for you is on that, you're forgetting that the way you go and sin no more is by receiving the righteousness that only comes by grace. And so we are called to be leaders in love, and here's what I heard as I was praying about these three first areas. I heard first a call this morning to return to your first love.
if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, remember the overflow that you had in your early days. How overwhelmed you were by his love, his pursuit, his forgiveness, his kindness, his purposes. He knows the plans that he has for you. And by stirring up that first love, letting Jesus walk in the flames of a heart that's burning for him, today there is breakthrough available to just set aside that slave thinking and embrace that son and daughter kind of thinking. And if you've never made him your first love, if you only added Jesus to your life, then I encourage you this morning, make him the first love in your life, the first thing. Put him in that place of prominence where your heart's cry is, Lord, if I know what you're saying, if I see what you're doing, I long for it more than anything else in my life. You are number one. And only people who can come to that place of surrendered hearts begin to encounter that love. We can love because we were first loved. And so how in the world are we capable of giving away something we don't have? And the only perfect, permanent expression of love for us each individually is the love that Jesus has for us. So we learn as we spend time with him, and the byproduct and fruit of time with him is just how precious, how loved we all are. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to perform. We are already accepted and named among the beloved. And then all of a sudden, you come into that place and you long for that freedom. You long for that realization in the lives of others. But what really gets me, like Paul was saying in Galatians Five. Well, no, in uh, Galatians 1.15, and when it pleased the Father to reveal the Son to him, it came through an encounter, our ability to either make the Lord the first love in our life or return back to that first love is through an encounter with his love that provokes that response of love in us. And then joy is the next fruit, and this morning there is an opportunity, oh, I believe, for us to be empowered by, for us to allow joy to become our strength in life. And wouldn't it be an amazing testimony if the primary attribute people shared about you at the end of your life is, regardless of what happened, they always had joy. Joy is the byproduct of people, I believe, who have a grateful and a thankful heart, who just know to thank God for the small thing and move irresistibly toward the greater thing. And so joy creates this overflow of hope and of gratitude in our lives as How does it happen? It happens because in his presence, there it is again, is fullness of joy. We only encounter love when we encounter Jesus. We only really encounter uh, irresistible joy when we're encountering his presence. And then lastly, there is a place of irrational 
uh, unreasonable peace. There's a place where you know it's going to be okay and you're just fine with not even knowing how it's going to be okay. But you have a deep assurance that all things really are working together for good in your life. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, my peace, I leave you. And so that's where I leave you with this message. We can only love because we first were loved, because we had an encounter with the love of Jesus that was personal. We can only really have joy and fullness of it when we're in his presence. And then Jesus said, and by the way, I'm leaving, but my peace, the actual peace I carry in my heart is with you as you have encountered me. And it's not going to be reasonable. It's not going to be rational. By the way, it's a peace that surpasses understanding, but nobody can take away. And so I challenge you, brothers and sisters, continue this year to spend the time with him that you need to, like the disciples in Acts chapter 4, let people's testimony and wonder be, I know that they spent time with Jesus because without them trying They're growing in love. They're leaders in love in every area of their life. Joy is overflowing. Hope is poured out of their life. And they cannot be shaken because they have an abiding peace that isn't even reasonable. It's not even their peace. It's the actual peace of Jesus resting upon all of our lives. So, Father, I, I thank you today. I just, for whoever responded, whoever decided I need more love, I need more joy, I need more peace, and I'm signing up for all three right now. God, I would be blown away and excited and encouraged if everyone listening today will receive a double portion of what they have ever experienced or known in this life, if they become known as leaders in love, leaders in joy, leaders in peace, then, Lord, others will have to stand up and take notice and go, only people who've spent time with Jesus can be like that. And that is your desire. You paid the ultimate price to make that possible for each and every one of us. And so I declare in Jesus' name a double portion of those three areas of the fruit of your spirit, not by works, not by effort, not by some old covenant of rule following, but Lord, by your gospel of grace, by the new covenant of your empowering grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all.